It's the ball game. Take. I'll tell you what, we're having a drink. That turned into a disaster. We have a complete structural collapse of the entire freeway. 25 years after a major earthquake rocked the Bay Area, stories from beneath the rubble. Yeah, they had people trapped on Cypress. There was nothing I could do to get free, so I wrote my husband a goodbye note. Jack, earthquake hit while I was under concrete. Worst happened. The upper deck of the Bay Bridge has collapsed. When I open my eyes, I'm looking directly at the water. Do you remember what she said to you? We're not going to get out of here. Yes, we are. Tonight, San Francisco shaken, 25 years after the quake. Early evening, October 17, 1989. And San Francisco is in the middle of baseball madness. For the first time in nearly three decades, the city's giants are in the World Series. Adding to the excitement, their opponents are rivals from across the bay, the Oakland Athletics. There's a carnival atmosphere. Everybody can't wait for the game to start. Veteran sportscaster Al Michaels is in town to call the game. And it's a perfect day for baseball. This was a pristine day probably around 70 degrees. It was a gorgeous day. One of those Indian summer days that you only get in San Francisco. Bill Ray has left his office early and is walking toward his apartment in San Francisco's hip Marina District. I was walking home thinking, guys, this is the most beautiful place in the world. Why are we moving across the bay? Bill and his wife, Janet, have been married two years, and they're exactly one month from closing on their first home. We had plans for children and family and such, and it made sense for us at the time. Right. For Bill and Janet, this evening is all about baseball. My wife, Janet, was a huge Giant fan. Our plans uh, were to stay at home and watch the game from home. Near Candlestick Park, inside fire station number nine, the guys will be watching too. I was in the kitchen, they um, had gotten a load of prawns. It was kind of a, an occasion. Firefighter Jerry Shannon, a 19-year veteran, is on duty that night. It's his turn to cook dinner. And your plan had been to just sort of lay low, maybe hope there weren't any calls, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Oakland and San Francisco. So it was a big thing. The matchup has been dubbed the Bay Bridge Series. The Giants all the way. After the main artery that connects San Francisco with Oakland. That bridge is where law student Bruce Steffen happens to be. My wife and I would walk down to school and walk back home and we would never be in a car. <laughs> we would never be anywhere near the bridge. But Bruce has recently taken a day job as a construction manager and must drive on the bridge this day. There was a project that was being built over in Oakland and they were turning the building over from construction to the property management uh, group. So I had to go over for the celebration to do the little handoff. 
The National World Series broadcast begins at 5 p.m. Pacific time, but the actual game is still about a half hour away. The crowd is filing in. There was this great sense of anticipation. The bunting is out and the whole thing. The field looked as good as it ever looked at Candlestick Park. Tonight is game three, the first of the series played at Candlestick, San Francisco's home stadium. The battle of the Bay continues. About 30 million people are watching on TV. The Oakland Athletics against the San Francisco Giants. I'm Al Michaels, welcome to game three. It's been I came on the air, opened it up. We had a blimp shot and a few other things. I set the scene. Here's what happened in the first two games. And he fails to get Dave Parker. Less than two minutes later. So the Oakland A's take, take. I'll tell you what, we're having a nerd. At first, it's like, what, what is this? this? This can't be happening. It takes a moment to understand, hey, wait a second. All hell is breaking loose. We are still as we can tell on the air, and I guess you are hearing us even Bill Ray's wife, Janet, is in their Marina District living room watching the pregame show. I was uh, getting out of my, my suit. I had just pulled on my uh, khakis, and I uh, was sockless and shirtless. And uh, when the first jolt hit, it was quite strong. And uh, I uh, asked her to come to me. They meet in the hallway of their second floor apartment. We were holding each other. The ground continued to shake. Um, just as she got into my arms, uh, she said, I love you. Uh, The, uh, and then the glass started to break. The apartment on two sides was surrounded by windows and uh, they started to shatter all at the same time. On the Bay Bridge, Bruce Steffen is coming home. I was probably going about 50 plus miles an hour or so. And there was a Caltrans truck that was doing some work on the lights. And right around the time that I had either just gotten even or passed that Caltrans truck, it felt like I had a flat tire. And I remember thinking, maybe they dropped a light bulb on the road. But it was in this series of split seconds. So in the next split second, it was two flat tires. And the next split second, it sounded like the engine was falling out of my car. Near Candlestick, fire station number nine immediately goes into emergency mode. Trucks roar out into the street. Jerry Shannon is driving. As we went around the first block, the radio chatter started. We're going to need some trucks down here as soon as you can get them. As the people came onto the radio, they were trampling over each other. What did that tell you? You never hear that. I mean, that radio you use 10 times a day. So everybody's calm, cool, and collected on the radio. You wait your turn. The pitch of their voices were going higher and higher, and there was a little bit of, I don't want to say panic, but there was a lot of excitement. And then they came on the radio and said, Truck 9 to Cervantes and Fillmore. And the captain checked 
radio, check that. You want Truck 9 to Cervantes and Fillmore? It doesn't make sense because Cervantes and Fillmore is in the Marina District, seven miles from Jerry, on the opposite side of town, where Bill and Janet Ray's world has just crashed down around them. Based on all the chatter and, and what they were saying, what were you expecting when you got to the Marina District? I wasn't expecting what I saw. Ahead. You're looking at the Bay Bridge. That's the section that has collapsed. Do you remember dropping? It was just this big Four minutes and 30 seconds past 5 p.m. Pacific time. Baseball fans are expecting an epic game. Commuters are having an easy rush hour. Traffic is light. Oh my God, we're having an earthquake. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Can you feel that? Until the earth shifts and lives are changed forever. The cyberstructure has collapsed. 25-238, we have a major injury accident. Cypress and West Grand do. They're advising major injuries. We're attempting to get 11. Saleswoman Dorothy Otto is driving her Pontiac Bonneville on the bottom level of Oakland's double-decker Cypress Freeway. She's racing to meet with a customer. Big cement beams with rebar in them just blew apart into dust. It was amazing. And then I fell 25 feet and I heard people screaming and I was shocked that I was alive. The upper deck of the Cypress is lying on top of Dorothy's Pontiac. The front of the vehicle is smashed to four inches. And her left foot is trapped by the emergency brake and the crushed dashboard. I tried to pull myself free and there was nothing I could do to get free. So I got a piece of paper and I wrote my husband a goodbye note. Jack, earthquake hit while I was under concrete. Worst happened, it collapsed on car. I'm alive, just my left foot is stuck under the car. Love you lots, good luck to us both. Inside Candlestick Park, where the world is watching the quake live, Al Michaels is scrambling to figure out what's going on. Are we on the air or not? I wasn't sure. Players and fans are oblivious to the severity of the damage from the 6.9 magnitude quake. The giant is awake! The game will be postponed. There was no way to know what the damage was outside of the stadium. It's not like a lot of ballparks where you can see downtown or outside. Outside, not only has the Cypress collapsed, but a piece of the Bay Bridge has caved in. Bruce Steffen is driving a gray Mazda on the upper deck as a 50-foot chunk gives way. It was like a giant was trying to remove the tablecloth and, uh, you know, like, like pull the tablecloth out from under a bunch of dishes or something. And shaking the bridge. Shaking the bridge, yeah. It was just this big like that. And then it's dropping. So do you remember dropping? I, I remember dropping, and the second I felt the sensation of dropping, I thought it was all over. I mean, we, at the time, of course, thought the whole bridge was falling down. And I remember 
screaming, we're gonna die, and that's the last thing I remember. San Francisco firefighter Jerry Shannon is headed north of the bridge to the Marina District, where homes are built on landfill or soft soil, making them vulnerable to shaking. So when you came over this hill, what did that look like to you? Everybody gasped. I had never seen anything like it. I mean, it was so big, it looked like an atom bomb. It's not a bomb. A very large uh, building is on fire. It's a four-story residential building. Bill and Janet Ray call it home. They are huddled together underneath a doorway in their second floor apartment. And the next thing I knew that I was flat on my back and Janet was laying on my chest. Their home has dropped a dozen feet into the garage on the first floor. Her head's right here. We're surrounded. The third floor has collapsed on top of them, leaving a space for Bill and Janet about two feet wide by two feet high. Reminds me of a coffin. I could feel my wife's breath. I'm sure she could feel mine. Why couldn't you move her at that point? There was uh, glass or uh, wood that was uh, cutting into her. Help does come. Their apartment manager hears them and promises to return with rescuers. I was almost euphoric. I was just absolutely confident that we were going to get out of there. And was she? Yes. What Bill and Janet don't know is the quake has ruptured both gas lines and water mains. While we were driving down, you could really see water, like a creek running down the middle of the street. Firefighter Jerry Shannon pulls up near the Ray's apartment building to help fight the gas-fueled fire now heading toward them. But there's a huge problem. There's not enough water pressure to force water from the hydrants. The water wasn't going anywhere. It was just kind of trickling out. So with no water, they told us to start the search and rescue. Jerry turns his attention to a home directly across the street. I'm not sure if it was a paramedic, but he came up and said, I think I heard somebody in that building over there. The top floor was out into the middle of the street, and the first three floors were just rubble. I saw a spot under the fire escape, so I stuck my head in and I yelled, is anybody in there? I didn't hear anything right away. I yelled again, is any, can anybody hear me? And yes, I hear you, I'm in there. It's a female voice. Jerry is certain. And what'd you think? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm looking at just tons of, of lumber uh, in a pile. There's no clear way to reach the woman trapped inside. Her building is unstable and aftershocks are making it worse. On top of that, there's a growing fire across the street. But he grabs a chainsaw and starts to crawl in. Why did you go in? It's my job. Did you have a plan? <laughs> there was, uh, no, no. How difficult did it look to you that this rescue was going to be? It didn't look probable. Still ahead. Do you remember what she said to you? We're not going to get out of here.
There's an AC Transit bus, I believe. On the Bay Bridge, bus driver Douglas Burkhardt is driving on the lower deck when the road right in front of him falls away. I put every ounce, I'm talking about I had every ounce of strength in my leg and my foot to stop the bus. Douglas stops just feet from the gap where Bruce Stephan is unconscious and dangling precariously. When I open my eyes, I'm on an angle I'm looking directly at the water. I have no idea why I'm still above the water. Bruce's car is stuck on fallen pieces of the bridge, caught in the steel support legs. All I know is this was a second chance. I mean, I was out of that car and by the hood of the car so fast that no one had gotten out of their cars on the bridge. And in fact, I'm holding the lower roadway. I remember now, suddenly, that there's someone in the car with me. His co-worker, Janice, who is riding with him. Bruce tells her to come out of the car window. He gets her to the edge of the collapsed section, but can't get her up onto the stable part of the roadway. And the bus driver, at that moment, had just gotten out of his bus, came running over, and so I grabbed one of Janice's arms, he grabbed the other arm, and together we pulled her up onto the lower roadway. And they take off. It was like, get Janice up on the road and let's get walking to dry ground before the whole bridge collapses. While the situation on the Bay Bridge stabilizes, conditions on the collapsed double-decker Cypress Freeway are becoming more horrific. The air was a mix of burning of rubber and flesh. Oakland firefighter Lorenzo Frediani ventures down to the sandwich lower deck, where Dorothy Otto is trapped. I see a woman trapped in a car. The car was so deformed that my dashboard, the part that's supposed to be right here, was here on my shins. The emergency brake is also impaled into Dorothy's ankle. We started working with the tools and it wasn't easy. But nothing is working, and Lorenzo is rapidly losing his space to maneuver. We had aftershocks, and as the road came down, you had to avoid the roof crushing you. The space went from either three and a half or three feet down to two and a half to two feet. That's Lorenzo in the rapidly narrowing space. They started to leave. And I said, guys, don't leave me in here to die alone. And I said, I won't leave her. But I said, you need to make peace, because I'm making peace right now. I did think I was going to die. 12-year-old Desiree Helm lives 250 miles from the crushed Cypress. But she is scared out of her mind. Her dad, Buck Helm, works right near the flattened structure. And the last time she saw him, things didn't go well. I was looking forward to going with him to the Bay Area and spending time with him. But he told me that the babysitter canceled, so I couldn't go. So I was quite upset. And I said some mean things to him. What'd you say? I told him that I hated him. And then he left. And I didn't, ever say, I didn't really say sorry or anything. Now, in the wake of the earthquake, Desiree has no idea where her father is. 
Over in the Marina District, firefighter Jerry Shen is struggling to rescue a woman from beneath a collapsed building. I was laying on my stomach with the chainsaw out in front of me because there was only about a two and a half foot ceiling and it was about three feet wide. So I just kept crawling with the saw and cutting. He can't see her, so he is sawing in the dark, using her voice to guide him in the right direction. But just as Jerry is making headway, his equipment fails. The chainsaw that I was using got so dull that it wouldn't cut anymore. So I crawled back through the bedroom, and I said, I need another chainsaw. And at that time, I leaned back against the wall just to get a breather to rest my arms. And then the thoughts start, you know, if something happens, who's going to tell my kids? How would they tell them? Right across the street from Jerry, Bill and Janet Ray are still trapped under rubble. Firefighters are now inside what's left of their building. And they said, don't worry, we're going to get you out of there. And I could sense that there's desperation. Uh, this fellow, uh, who I've never met, was working so hard <laughs> to get the uh, chainsaw started. The firefighter tries an ax instead. Once they got the hole cut out, uh, a gloved hand came through uh, the hole I grabbed his hand. The only thing that separated me and them was uh, two inches of subfloor. They're so close, but incredibly, debris is no longer the main obstacle to their rescue. It was during the axe chopping that the smoke started to roll into the floor that we were on, and I could smell it. And that was a big concern to Janet. Do you remember what she said to you? We're not going to get out of here. Ahead, Jerry's choice. People were yelling in from the street to get out. She's looking at me like, are you going to leave me here? There have been hundreds of aftershocks since the quake first hit at 504. It's a uh, real bad down here, Andy. We got two bodies down here? Yeah. At the collapsed Cypress Freeway, each aftershock drops the top deck closer to Dorothy Otto, threatening to seal her and her would-be rescuer, Lorenzo Frediani, into their own tomb. She was nervous and scared, talking 100 miles an hour. He told me, listen, you got to shut up and stop, because I can't think. The last thing in the world I want to hear before I die is a woman nagging at me. And she goes, OK. And she stopped. Now, only about two feet of space remains. And with Dorothy's foot still trapped, drastic measures are required. We had called for the surgeon to cut her foot off. And he says to me, okay, where's her foot? Let's cut it off. Dorothy Otto is about to lose her left foot. I said, okay, just give me five minutes. I want to try one more thing. I think I got the idea. 
Lorenzo's idea is to take apart the Jaws of Life tool and use a small part of it like a crowbar, and it works. Their five-hour ordeal is over, and she keeps her foot. Boy, they popped me out like that. It was amazing. I made it, and then I cried. Just 20 minutes later, the section of the cypress where Dorothy was trapped completely pancakes. Over in the marina district, Jerry Shannon re-enters the collapsed building, hoping to save the woman trapped there. If you want to be safe, take an office job. Because there was no way you were not going back in. No. Conditions are worsening rapidly. The fire that is burning in Bill Ray's apartment is now threatening the building where Jerry is working. I mean, people were yelling in from the street to get out, and she's hearing it. She's looking at me like, you know, like, are you going to leave me here? He is moving quickly and soon saws through a large beam. Moving, it means he can finally see the woman he's been hearing for more than two hours. As I came over the top, she had a big smile, and uh, I said first, my name is Jerry. And she said, hi, I'm Shara. 55-year-old Shara Cox, a bookkeeper and an accomplished pianist. All that's left to free her, one final layer of debris. The door was on top of her, about an inch away from her body, and I got a chainsaw. She could see that blade going around, and the noise of the chainsaw, the smoke, the whole thing. It's terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah. She said, I trust you. And then, finally, Shara Cox is no longer trapped. It was the first time in two and a half hours that I was thinking, we're going to pull this off. Gentlemen, this building's on fire internally. Across the street, firefighters are trying desperately to free Bill and Janet Ray. So they kept chopping, and then I heard a third person come into the room, and there was a muffled, muffled voices, and I believe that the uh, captain who had come in was pulling him out of the building, and the one fireman was crying and didn't want to go. And uh, that's when uh, Janet started yelling, don't go, don't go. And uh, they left without saying a word to us. It was an awful feeling. They left us to die, and that was crushing. At that uh, point, I just told her how sorry I was. And I said, we're going to get out of here. Getting out means pulling himself through a small hole and driving debris further into Janet's back. Though it was very painful to Janet, uh, she said, go, keep going. I told her I was going to get help. Did you tell her you loved her? Oh, yeah. I wasn't going to leave. But I got to the window, and as I stood up, I fell into the bathroom, and I was disoriented. Bill Ray doesn't know it yet, 
but his leg is broken in several places. I distinctly remember looking out the window over here to where we're standing, and there were 20 or 30 people looking up in this whole sidewalk. Here's somebody that's standing in a crowd, and I can only remember his face. It must be 50 yards from here, and we just connected, and he got my attention. I was yelling, help me, help me. And he was saying, jump, jump and he pointed up like that. And that's when I realized the fourth floor was uh, fully engulfed in flames. Bill leaps from the window as the man races across the street and pulls Bill from the rubble. A fireman jumps in to help. Firefighters eventually get the water going. It is too late for the raised building. I was yelling at the fireman, go get my wife, go get my wife. And at that point, while I'm still on the ground, the fourth floor collapses. Everybody went silent, including myself, because at that point I knew she was dead. I was just hysterical. Bright, beautiful, and athletic, 28-year-old Janet Ray is dead. What was that like for you to see that? It was uh, very painful, uh, huge failure. I made a commitment I couldn't keep. Coming up, a miracle on the Cypress. When they were pulling out the person on the gurney, my brother said, those are my tennis shoes. Directly across the street from Bill Ray's nightmare, in another collapsed burning building, a happy ending for Shara Cox. We just kept dragging her, and when we got to the exterior wall, the paramedics were there with a gurney. They take Shara and roll her toward the ambulance, but she won't get in. She had wedged her hands against the doors. And I kept saying, Where's Jerry? Because I have to have his last name. And somebody said, why are you on his last name? And I said, I have to thank him. And I, people laughed, but I said, no, I'm not leaving here until you get me, until I get Jerry's last name. We walked over and she said, um, I need your last name. I said, my last name is Shannon. And she goes, oh, they sent an Irishman. And I reached up and put my arms around his neck and I said, you're my hero. They put her in the ambulance and closed the door, drove away. On the Cyprus, the rescues have stopped. They say there is no chance that there is anyone left alive. In the pre-dawn hours of Saturday morning, four days after the earthquake, an engineer is examining the structure to prepare for the day ahead. It was like in the dark and when he was using a flashlight, in his process of doing that, he thought he saw something move. Orange County firefighter Chuck Nicola is helping on the Cypress. He's skeptical about a survivor, but plans are made to reach the car, which is about 10 feet in, on the lower deck. And I could see him 
I didn't think that was somebody alive. The front of the car has been crushed flat by a falling beam, and the concrete of the upper deck is laying on the top of the door. And I reach in there and I give him kind of a shake, and he moves, he groans or something, and uh, there was like a rush of joy. I said, hey buddy, what's your name? And he's going, Buck, but I didn't hear it as Buck. I wasn't sure what he was, maybe he was cursing, I don't know. The man in the car is saying Buck. It's Buck Helm, Desiree's dad. Rescuers use the jaws of life to get the door open. As we fed him out of the side of the freeway, you could hear a cheer. 250 miles away, Desiree is watching TV with her mom and older brothers. When they were pulling out the person on the gurney, my brother said, those are my tennis shoes. That's our dad. Our dad had borrowed his tennis shoes. We automatically knew it was him, even though they hadn't said the name. Why'd you assume it was him? Because he had convinced us that he was a survivor. 12-year-old Desiree now has her chance to apologize. And I was like, yes, now I can tell him sorry for the things that I said to him. It will be a while before she can talk with him. Buck Helm is badly injured. His most important emergent medical problem was respiratory failure. Couldn't breathe adequately, um, severe pain from the crush injuries, kidney shutdown, a sciatic nerve damage, and an inability to move the leg, and at least three fractured ribs. He had a respirator in, so he wasn't able to talk except for blinking his eyes and you know squeezing his hands. I didn't really want to stay in the room too much because it made me upset. So I thought maybe I would wait to tell him I was sorry so he could understand what I'm saying. And the man the media dubbed Lucky Buck, the one who convinced his family he could survive anything, even this, begins to get better. His kidneys woke back up. He was improving. I remember them saying he's going to be able to go home. Up next, a turn for the worse. Tell me what happened 28 days after Buck's rescue. For four weeks, the last man rescued from the Cypress, Buck Helm, is waging a successful battle against life-threatening injuries. But then his ex-wife, Laureen Helm, gets an ominous message. Tell me what happened uh, 28 days after Buck's rescue. They gave me a beeper and um, the beeper went off and the message was get back to the hospital. The doors were shut. When they finally did open the doors, they walked over to me. Sorry. And they told me that they, they had lost him, that he was gone. And I still couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Buck Helm is the 63rd person to die from the earthquake. 12-year-old Desiree loses her dad before she can apologize. I really was mad at myself for years because I never said sorry. 
The guilt sends her down a painful path, littered with bad decisions. And it ends with no job, her children in the custody of others, and a meth addiction. Would you ever have gone down this path if your dad hadn't died in, in the aftermath of that quake? I don't think so, because I loved my dad so much. I know it would have disappointed him, and I always wanted my dad to be happy with me. She is now married, sober, and credits her Christian faith with helping her move on. You can't kick yourself for the past because it does no good. It just makes you miserable. You can't move forward. When I was able to let go of that, we've actually been really happy. As for Jerry Shannon, he becomes close friends with the woman he dug from the rubble, Shara Cox. So close, in fact, that by 2009, he's handling her medical decisions. Really, she had no family. We were the closest family that she had. You want to uh, open a, pick, a present? Sure. Diabetes is beginning to eat away at her. She was having circulation problems. She lost her toes, then she lost her foot. Eventually, she gets gangrene. They were afraid it would get to her heart. That's when they said, we're going to have to cut more off her legs. I wanted to tell her, and she said, you know, don't let him do it, no more. For the second time, Jerry Shannon has Shara Cox's life in his hands. This time, it ends differently. So you knew she was going to die without that? She knew it, and um, yeah, we knew it. My wife filled the room full of roses because of what she loved, and I was talking to her, and she said, I don't want you feeling bad. You know, she was patting my hand and said, I just had 20 years on the house. And then about 5 o'clock that morning, I got a phone call, which I knew at 5 in the morning, that she had passed. Dorothy Otto is a medical miracle. First, she's crushed on the cypress and has no fractures, not one. And they x-rayed me over and over and over, and they could find no broken bones which they did not believe. Her foot heals. They were afraid I'd lose the foot even after all the heroic efforts of the fire department. And she walks normally. She's now a breast cancer survivor too. Everybody's life has stunny parts and bad parts. In the years after the earthquake, Bill Ray's loss of his wife Janet leads to anger about the rescue that never happened. What do you wish the firefighters had done differently that night? I had wished that once they cut the hole, that they had told me, told us, that there was a fire engulfing the building and that, you know, we only have a couple minutes. I'd have cut off her leg to get her out of there. All right, buddy, come on. Time, therapy, and support from a men's group finally allows Bill Ray to let go of that anger and to stop feeling guilty about Janet's death. It was really around um, believing in myself and uh, accepting the fact that uh, uh, I'm not Superman. Then, four years into his second marriage, another tragedy for Bill Ray. I had woken up. There was a noise. Laurel was uh, breathing erratically. And then while I was talking to the 911 operator, her heart stopped. 
Bill Ray is once again staring down death, desperately trying to save his wife's life. He gives Laurel CPR for 27 minutes. How much of your push to save Laurel had to do with, with any guilt that you might have had about Janet? A lot. Doctors didn't think Laurel would walk or write or talk again. With Bill as her advocate and caregiver, she survives and does all those things. So when people hear your story and they think, man, this guy's had it really rough. He's had an awful, difficult life and tremendous loss. What do you say to them? God, no, I haven't. I've had a wonderful life. The real richness in life is the love that you get from those that you embrace the tightest. Yeah, the weather is great here. Today, Bruce Steffen, who narrowly escaped plunging off the Bay Bridge, is back in the Bay Area. Following the quake, he moves east with his wife and takes a job in Lower Manhattan. We worked down in the World Trade Towers, and my wife worked in one tower, I worked in the other. Which puts them both, incredibly, back in the middle of disaster. It's September 11th, 2001. There was a bang. And I look over, and there's glass, flaming pieces of glass going by the window. He gets out safely. And his wife? I remember walking, saying, I'm a widower. My wife could be dead. But hours later, he reunites with his wife, who is unharmed, too. Do you feel like there's a reason why you survived both of these events? I do, and I don't feel like I found it yet. You know what I mean? Why me? Why me twice? Get out! Get out! So what do you want people to, to take away and to learn from what you've gone through and what you've lived through? Well, I think that every single moment in life is precious, that it could be taken away from you in a second. And you just really appreciate that this is an amazing, sorry, a, uh, a very amazing short-term gift to appreciate every moment and to appreciate fellow human beings because in the end, I mean, all we really have is each other.